This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Joining me in conversation today is the wonderful Joni Petty. And we would like to welcome you, our listeners, to our third episode in the Sleep Your Way to the Top series. In today's discussion, Jody will be focusing on what it means to practice good sleep hygiene and provide some tips on how we can improve the sleep hygiene. Joni is the CEO of a business called Resilient People. In a nutshell, she helps people to bounce forward after setbacks, challenges, or adversity. Joni lives her dream and does this in various ways. Firstly, as an executive coach, working one-on-one with individuals, as a behavioral strategist, maximizing team cohesion, especially in the new hybrid world of work, and as a keynote speaker, where she's able to share simple biohacks to help all of us bounce forward. In fact, when Joni describes her purpose on the planet, she says, I help people boost their energy and mental and emotional agility. I do this by sharing simple, actionable biohacks to enable people to bounce forward after challenges to living their most optimal life. Fantastic, and welcome, Joni. Thank you, Karen. Before we begin, let me just clarify, I have an incredibly husky voice, and I think it is because I have been lacking sleep over the past few days. So I'm so keen in really listening to you around sleep hygiene, because I think I need to put some of these practices into action. But firstly, let's clarify, what is sleep hygiene? Where does this term come from? That's a great term, but it really just means in three words, Karen, your daily routine. So what are your daily habits, your healthy daily habits? So your pers- like your personal hygiene, you know, which is promoting, in this case, sleep hygiene, promoting consistent, uninterrupted sleep. So when we talk sleep hygiene, we talk around the behavioral science, and as you know, I'm a behavioral strategist, around habit change and what we can do. And then also how we can really use our environment to, you know, our optimal best as well. So there's no prescriptive way of doing things. I think your husky voice, as I understand it, is from your gorgeous little puppy that you've just got. So let people know that (laughs) we have uh, cherubs in our lives like puppies and tiny little humans can disrupt our sleep. There's no one way of doing sleep hygiene. It's really a practice to suit our needs. And that's why I'm loving these podcasts, Karen, because it's really raising awareness about the good habits and bad habits that we keep. Not good habits, maybe we've got more than one. But we do know, you know, I've also just uh, got a puppy a few months ago. So a new puppy comes into the home, my children are grown up, or you take on a new job or a big project, or you've got just stress from life, parents, etc., or you're traveling more. In fact, I think we should do a sleep episode, another one, uh, Kieran, on sleep and travel. So all of these bad habits creep in daily, and then we they just tend to flip and stay. So you get into these bad habits, and then the next moment you wake up and the puppy's grown up, the children have grown up, and you've still got those bad habits. We need to just take stock and be aware of sleep. It is the Swiss army knife of health. And how can we read the research? How can we make sure that we can change some of those bad habits into good habits? And that's why I'm thrilled that you and I have these podcasts so that we can just bridge the research to, you know, what people can do from a lifestyle perspective on a daily basis. 
Fantastic. And Johnny, so tell me a little bit more about these about these habits. So, you know, what kind of helps us set those? We've spoken about, and especially, you know, using my own example. So I was I was sleeping really, really well until I got this new puppy and she is she's tiny. I mean she's only a few weeks old, so she's not making it through the night, which means I'm not making it through the night. How do I kind of start getting back on track or stop this becoming a bad habit? I know for her, you know, this will only last a couple of weeks. But how do I stop this from becoming this pervasive bad habit? So it's exactly that. It's the mental attitude towards this is only going to last a couple of weeks, Karen. So what's going to happen? You know, I'm going to wake up a few times a night. And it's the same with children. You know, it's a chapter in our lives where they wake up. The, we've got an episode on blue light blocking glasses. And that's going to be interesting for people who have this period in their life where they have to wake up. So to be very mindful around not switching lights on when you let the puppy out and not switching lights on when you go to your your toddler. So A is mental attitude and B, there's some practical lighting aspects that can help you. And then there's some breathing aspects as well, which will couple with the lighting aspects. But just in short, Kieran, that 478 breathing from Dr. McCola, I think we may have spoken about it before, that breathe in for four counts, hold for seven counts, and then breathe out audibly for eight counts as you get back into bed after the puppy's done its business, hopefully on the grass outside. So, you know, just saying I, I cherish going back to sleep right now because the minute your anxiety shoots up, cortisol shoots up, and then uh, melatonin says, hey, I don't have to, you know, be uh, all pervasive in the brain and the body, and if cortisol shoots up, you're going to start thinking about your day ahead, and you don't want that to happen. Absolutely. So, you know, apart from this little this little phase that we go through or when we're having periods of, of uninterrupted sleep, obviously we're not going to feel our best. But your recommendation is around, you know, plus minus seven hours of uninterrupted sleep to really make yourself feel good. And I think you describe it often as feeling fantastic and dangerously good. And part of your program, um, you know, on, on sleep habits and, and forming these good sleep habits and, and just looking after your sleep, and of course, the series on sleeping your way to the top is all about using sleep to help yourself feel dangerously good. But tell me, how do we do that? Because I am desperate to feel fantastic and dangerously good. <laughs> I love that little phrase, dangerously good. It's kind of like, beware, beware, I'm coming to uh, embrace the day. So it's really, you know, my mantra, Karen, is something that I have, inverted commas, stolen from James Clear. So he wrote that fantastic book, uh, Atomic Habits. And I have this ringing in my brain around sleep, around exercise, around food. This is his quote. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Your goal is your desired out outcome. So that's your seven hours of sleep but your system is the collection of daily habits that will get you there. So what does this really mean for us? You know, how do we deconstruct that? It's I keep on saying to myself, what is my, the system that I have in place to ensure I, where possible, can get seven hours of uninterrupted sleep? And that is really around the simple kind of little um, elements I have in my life so that I don't have to think about this daily. I don't need willpower, self-control, et cetera, et cetera. So one of them is around saying, okay, I need to plan my sleep. And it's so jolly basic. It's that, you know, remember that saying our mothers taught us, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Well, I, that rings loudly in my head. 
So in terms of a system for me is I'm an old school girl. I have a paper diary and I look at a week at a glance. So if I'm looking at, you know, this week, I've got um, actually a board meeting. I've got a sleep course I'm doing with doctors and I've got a book launch. So that's uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, to be honest. And those might be later nights than I would normally go to bed when I'm at home alone. So I look at those nights and I do not plan early morning meetings that following Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I just don't. So I really have a look at planning a week ahead to say, how do I get those seven hours? If I've got to go to evening activities, then I've got to make sure that the the morning afterwards starts a little later. Now, you live in Australia. I live in South Africa. We bounce between the two time zones a lot, you and I. And I'm absolutely vociferous about managing that time, especially when I'm working uh, in Australia. If I've got to get up really early in the morning to speak to Australians, I get to sleep really much earlier in the evening. So sleep planning is one habit, a really good habit that you work a week in advance. And each week is different because life is different and it won't be, you know, it won't be completely, you won't live to every minute of what you've planned, but it's good to have that plan. And then the second tip is around consistency. So I have a real consistency around my evening activities. So if I am working at night, I will absolutely, you know, stay in my work clothes, I'll stay in my work mode. And then when that is all finished, only then do I go and have a shower or an Epsom salts bath to put a full stop in the end of the day. So it's really important for me to make sure that there's not work, eat, shower, bath, play with the children and back to work. Because when my brain switches back into work mode, adrenaline, cortisol, um, and a lot of excitement often kicks back in and then I battle to shut down my brain. So I think you've got to work out a routine that's consistent for you in terms of sleep hygiene. And for me, it's always work until that full stop happens. And I'm very, very mindful around that full stop. And then I'm reading my novel, or I'm reading a magazine, or I'm listening to a good podcast, or in the shower, I'm listening to great music as I wind down from the day. So that's my routine. And that kind of links into the last point I want to make here. And that's um, around actually budgeting for that time. So I'm very careful around my lighting. So I have dim lighting in my bedroom, dim lighting in my bathroom. I'm definitely not on any electronic devices for about an hour before I go to sleep. But if, you, if you're not in the realm of that, then half an hour will do. No TV, no laptop, no mobile, dim lighting in your bedroom. In fact, Karen, you could put those red light bulbs in your boudoir. We're going to speak about that in the next episode. But that um, is really good for your eyes. Your eyes then uh, are seeing red light. And guess what? Your pineal gland in your brain says, okay, it's time to make melatonin. So you're really preparing your body sleep hygiene wise for a good night's sleep. And then uh, I suppose the last thing that people don't want to hear is that be very careful of your alcohol consumption. So <laughs> I know people use alcohol to uh, obliterate the day, but um, smaller doses is better. Celebrate the day if you choose with uh, whatever alcohol, red wine, white wine, bubbly, but um, make sure that you don't have a lot of alcohol and especially later in the evening because that will affect your sleep as well. So those are just, you know, three main practices. It's that sleep planning 101, it's your routine and it's budgeting for that wind down time, Karen. 
Fantastic. I think that's so important because it's almost what you've described as it's almost a ritualistic practice. You know, you mm -hmm. stay in your work clothes. This is my ritual around going to keep this how I calm down for the day. And I think it's so important that we get back into it because I know for many and, and me included, and I might speak only for myself here, is that, you know, with the pandemic and going into lockdown and particularly in Melbourne, I think we had seven different lockdown periods. So it took a while until we started even becoming, you know, coming back to, to normal or to routines of any sort. But I found that was so critically important is to try and set some form of ritualistic practice because otherwise the days and the nights just kind of merged. There was no, you know, there was no schedule to be on. So it was it was really difficult to manage. True, true. Absolutely. So, Joni, these principles and practices, and I mean things like putting on red lights, and I mean that's easy these days, especially you know for those that have have Google lighting at home or Google light bulbs, because you know we can change ours, and we've got some at home, and they're fabulous because you can you can literally ask it to go from candlelight to red light to blue light to anything you want, and um, so those are really really important. But are these uh, practices and principles that you've mentioned supported by research? Oh, yeah. I'll get onto that, but just in South Africa, we have the added advantage that you do not have in Australia is load shedding. So we can just switch off those lights uh, for hours on end. <laughs> <laughs> and not have to wait for generators to kick in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the research, I'm just loving the research. You know, I got really interested in sleep um, many years ago. In fact, it was 2016 to be precise when I started reading uh, Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep book, which is still outstanding. And we're starting to see so much research coming out. So I think, you know, we, the World Health Organization, I think I've given you this quote, six or seven out of 10 people are really battling with sleep or insomnia or sleep apnea or other disease entities that affect sleep. So the research is fantastic. I use a lot of the research from the Sleep Foundation in America. And then in South Africa, we have our own South African Sleep Society for Sleep and Health. And we have a lot of research coming out and a lot of sleep studies. And I'm very fortunately involved as a non-medical person, the only uh, non-doctor involved in that society. So I'm absolutely relishing the research coming out of there. And then, you know, really, I, I just think we've got to bear in mind, put that research aside, let's just think you know, humans haven't really evolved with getting less sleep over the years, have they? You know, so two million years, our bodies are even, you know, evolutionary, our bodies have retained the need for eight hours of sleep. So we have got to make sleep a priority. We haven't suddenly, you know, evolved to needing five or six hours. It's just not the case. Absolutely. And I think this is so important, you know, we know for ourselves, but often setting those kind of habits for your children becomes a little bit more difficult. So obviously, when they're younger and you're, I suppose, more in control of their routines, etc., it's it's a lot easier to kind of dictate those hours or, you know, make sure that the house is calm and quiet. But I have a 14-year-old and, you know, obviously he has his own kind of he wants to set his own hours and his own sleep schedule and stuff, but how do I encourage him? What do I do to to make our house, I suppose, calm and, and, and quiet over that period? You know, I, with my children, when they were 14, 15, they didn't enjoy this, but I, bribery is alive and well at that age, is I bribed them <laughs> to watch <laughs> things like uh, Matthew Walker while we sleep so that they absolutely understand the reason. You want to give them some control because at 14, 15, it's kind of, you know, stepping into the world and making their own plans. And it's essential that they control aspects of their life. 
you start planting those seeds around why sleep is so important. Get them to watch some of those videos. I remember my children one day, and, and I shouldn't really say this out loud, but we had been away on holiday. I'd especially come home the day before school started, and they woke up that next day and they said, oh, we just don't feel like school today. So I bribed them. I said, okay, no school today if you come and watch uh, that sugar film. So they started to understand that sugar is poison. So I absolutely think it's educating our children. They, you know, they're clever little sausages. They've got to know the rationale behind why you want them to put their own mobiles or their, you know, their laptops or their gaming devices away because actually their brain is still developing. And remember the prefrontal cortex is only truly formed at 25. So it's essential that you encourage them with informative information that's fun for them to understand and, and get a grip on. Absolutely, I think that's great. I, and I'm a firm believer in, in manipulation and negotiation tactics when raising, <laughs> when raising children. I and always bribery. remember, and bribery and corruption, it, it works, it works. <laughs> Whatever gets you, gets you through those teen years. Uh, so, Tony, yep. just tell me before we close um, for today, is really you've got the Sleep is Your Superpower course. Could you tell us a little bit more about this and, you know, specifically how do people access this course? And, of course, the most important thing is if people access this, besides feeling dangerously good, what else can they expect to feel from setting up good hygiene, good sleep hygiene? The impact sleep has, Kieran, on not only your physical well-being, so just feeling physically okay, but mental health is a big thing now, isn't it? It's inextricably linked to a whole lot of mental diseases. And when you prioritize sleep, you are going to feel mentally better. You are going to make better decisions. You're going to resolve conflict the next day in an easier way. So it's just, it's absolutely crucial that you prioritize that seven hours. And yes, you know, let's not get too fixated. I wrote a blog recently Karen, on the fact that that seven to eight hours is a bell curve. So I don't want people to get fixated because then again, you know, anxiety kicks in. I didn't get that seven hours. You know, you need to monitor your body. I know if I'm really well, six and a half, six and three quarter hours is fantastic. Scratchy throat, bit of a thumping headache. I need eight hours. You'll feel the difference and it's self-monitoring. It's knowing yourself the next day. Gee, I feel vibrant and happy. I mean, he has a, a 30 second war story. I was at a hotel in Cape Town last week and slept beautifully, really, really beautifully. The temperature in that bedroom was 17 degrees. We'll speak about that in the three things to do in your bedroom episode. I woke up, I don't wake up like bright eyed, like, you know, raring to go. It's not my state and way of being. And I walked around the restaurant of the hotel to go to the tiny little gym they have. And they had the sprinklers on. Now it's cold and it's winter and it's horrible in Cape Town and I got completely sprayed and I burst out laughing I just could not stop laughing and I just thought to myself isn't that lovely you know I've had a good night's sleep and my mood is good and something that's not pleasant I'm finding very funny when your mood is good you can't pre-plan that things that are not great become funny and I love that about rebooting your body every night I really do Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'll just go back to one of your previous biohacks. If you haven't had a particularly good night's sleep the night before, you know, don't forget the, of course, the power of the power nap. Yep. 20 minutes. Or if you're absolutely tired, 90 minutes. But 20 minutes is what you should train yourself. So, you know, we we're talking about children earlier, Karen. Mine, 22 and 24 now, they have said to me the, the very best uh, tip and tool and technique I've ever shared with them is that power nap. They use it 
unbelievably now, especially in this hybrid workplace of working from home, um, when they're not going to the office on the days that they stay home, that 20 minutes after lunch is sublimely fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you, Joni, for some great tips and practices that we can definitely benefit from. <clears throat> Just to recap, Joni and I are currently producing the Sleep Your Way to the Top six-part series. Our previous two parts have focused heavily on presenting some of the latest sleep research and a look at the practical ways of how we can implement some of these best practices. Currently, you are listening to part three on sleep hygiene. We look forward to you joining us for part four, in which we cover things to do in the bedroom. They're obviously not what we think, Tony. But just a reminder <laughs> that Tony has developed the Sleep is Your Superpower short 10-module online course, a phenomenal way to get yourself back on track and develop your superpower, which, of course, we know is sleep. Tony, please remind our listeners of how they can access this online course. Yes, you did ask me that earlier. I got sidetracked. <laughs> So um, we'll put a link in the notes and uh, they'll be able to access it from the link. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, it's important here just to add that Joni is not a medical professional and these podcasts are not in any way providing any medical advice. However, what Joni is doing is sharing her knowledge based on the latest research and obviously her extensive experience uh, that she has gained over the past years focusing on sleep. Um, her bounce forward model um, for sustained resilience is one that has been well researched and one that has she's got phenomenal results with. And of course, before starting any new health regime, please always remember to consult your doctor first. Thank you, Joni. Thanks, Karen. Mm -hmm.